This is the podcast that comes at boxing from every angle, from the fans' opinion, expert analysis, and the added insight of what the bookmakers think might happen. Welcome to Punch's Chance on the Pinnacle Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Punch's Chance on the Pinnacle Podcast. I'm your host Ben Cronin and I'm once again joined by Chris McCarthy from Pinnacle and Tom Craze from the Boxing Betting Show. How are you, Chris? You all good? Yeah, all good, Ben. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having us on again. Good stuff. Uh, and you, Tom, how's things with you? Yeah, very well, um, Ben. Thanks again. Nice one. Well, as we always do, we've we've got some big upcoming fights over this sort of next month or so, and we will get onto those and the odds and, and potential betting angles. But we can also look back a little bit about what we, we talked about in the previous show. I know um, Terence Crawford and Kell Brook, that's, that's a, a bit past us now, but we did also talk about Daniel Dubois and, and Joe Joyce and a, a pretty decent performance from Joyce to get the win. It was obviously an upset according to the odds. We talked through it on the show last month and I think both of you said there there could be a potential value play and, and got it right. Tom, I think you're even bang on the money with your, your round selections. I saw your Twitter was popping off with a lot of thanks and, and congratulations for that. So I'll, I'll go to you first and let us talk, talk us through what you sort of thought of the fight and 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 how it was won and how it all played out and then maybe what what we might see from Joyce in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously we, as you say, we did the preview before and Joyce was one of my, I won't say most confident bets of the year because he was still a three to one underdog, but it was it was a fight that, although it was rescheduled twice, it was meant to be on in April and then uh, I think September and then pushed back again. Um, I was always very bullish about. Uh, Joyce's chances just because I think I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it was always a bad style matchup for Dubois because it wasn't and he was a worthy favorite and uh, you know as I said in the build-up if someone put a gun to my head I would say I would probably say Dubois would win just because he was so he's so explosive but I think at the prices it was it was too good to ignore um, it was the it, it's the kind of the old adage really of someone being moved too quickly. Um, and what was really interesting in the build-up to the fight, there was a, a very good interview, a face-off kind of style interview with uh, Dubois and Joyce and Frank Warren and Sam Jones. And the question was posed to Dubois and they said, you know, Joyce had the, the learning fights. He, he stepped up, he, he beat a guy like Bryant Jennings, who's, you know, top 20 in the world. Dubois was knocking over kind of very substandard imports and looking great doing it, beating them in one, two, three rounds, but then jumped massively up to someone like Joyce, you know, very, very well-schooled um, amateur, very successful amateur, a guy who'd fought at a higher level professionally. And it was it was on the night, it was too much. Joyce kind of overwhelmed him really very early, not, not necessarily physically, but very early in the fight, Joyce got his jab working, and I think after the even after the first or second round, you could see some damage on um, the eye of Dubois. There were some body language signs that kind of made it sound like, or made it look rather like that 
hang on, this guy is hitting me back and this is hurting and this isn't what I'm used to. You know, this is a guy who can jab. This is a guy who who can understand range, who can, you know, control the, you know, the, who can has it, have an edge over me rather on kind of ring generalship. And that's something that Dubois just hadn't come up against. He had it all his own way. And the, the style of Joyce, while he didn't fight in his normal um, kind of steamroller fashion, he didn't try pushing... Um, Dubois around. He didn't try closing the gaps and, and forcing Dubois to fight on the inside, but he said, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to jab and it's for you to work it out. And Dubois just couldn't do it. He landed some good shots and it, to be fair to him, he kept most rounds very close or at least fairly close. But the bulk of the rounds I felt went to Joyce. And although the stoppage was a little bit strange when it happened, it was the accumulation and the culmination of, you know, considerable punishment along the way even though it was just a jab that did uh that got the job done yeah that's i mean often with those sort of fights where you don't have the the explosive finish that, that a lot of fans want there is a sort of air of disappointment and the whole stuff with the eye it was interesting we actually talked about brook who's who had a, had a bit of issues with it in the past but chris and, and tom sort of alluded to it there this was really a case of it wasn't an issue with Dubois and his eye. It was really just good work by Joyce and, and attacking it and, and getting the job done. Am I right? Yeah, spot on. I mean, it was almost a case of like man versus boy, wasn't it? When you kind of look at it. I mean, when you go back and analyse it now from when we analysed it on the last show, obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing in boxing, especially in boxing betting. But um, yeah, Joyce was just far more experienced, um, amateur pedigree, showed um just all kind of round you know maturity and boxing brain mixed with i think that one thing that was kind of underestimated from a lot of people when they were previewing the fight or looking at an angle for the betting was kind of the emotional kind of maturity of joyce he seems like a character who is just not phased by anything he's he's almost you know a lot of fighters when they go in they're going to be scared of kind of the bar's power or things like that i think with that it just doesn't doesn't phase him at all and I think the fact that he could control those emotions coming into the ring and just not be not be bothered by what Dubois was going to almost throw back at him um was kind of an underestimated feature in the fight and Joyce yeah Joyce like Tom touched on Joyce maintained a certain distance he used movement very well I mean with Joyce as well is although he's he's slow as such and he's got slow hands he's got very quick feet um, and I thought he used his feet really well. He was moving around the ring, um, not nothing too drastic, but just kind of taking Dubois out of his rhythm. And I mean, he barely threw a shot with his right hand, didn't he? I mean, he literally he pretty much won the fight attack-wise with, with one hand. It was just almost like a pouring type jab, uh, just continually just peppering Dubois in the face. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was... Joyce has been in with so many top quality guys, amateur and pro, um, and he's had them learn in fights. And like Tom touched on them as well, it was it was so evident. Um, he's been in with big punches. Someone like Dubois is not really going to phase him. And I think once Dubois realised that, he kind of went for it a bit. But all he really had was kind of brute strength to try to overpower him. And that was never really going to win the argument. I mean, Joyce is 35. Um, Dubois is... 23 so he's almost you know like I say man versus boy almost and although Joyce is 35 and for a lot of boxers that would be up there in age Joyce is a very young 35 in terms of um in terms of boxing so he's he's not been in many tough fights and stuff like that so he's 
yeah, he was fresh in there. I mean, the interesting point as well was with um, Dubois' trainer, Martin Bowers, when he, he went back to the corner. And I think it was, I think he said something along the lines of like, you know, this is the this is the fight game now, Dan. You know, you're you're in it. You're in it now. Um, and it was almost him acknowledging the fact that Dubois was kind of feeling and seeing things that he'd never seen before, which was which was very strange for um, a fight of that kind of magnitude and level. So it was almost, it makes you think like what, 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 what was the, what was the idea of the matchmaking behind that? Because still baffled me right now. Why, why they've actually made that fight? Because even if the Bois had won that fight, that would pitch him in at a very high level on the world scene. He would have been ranked highly by a lot of the governing bodies. And from there, you've got to almost fight, you know, top guys, whether that's a top 15, top 20, top 10 guy, you've almost got to fight them guys. And looking at that performance from him, he just wasn't ready for that. That was just too big of a, too big of a step up. Um, and yeah, ultimately, um, Frank Warren, um, their team, and inevitably Dubois, they paid the price. And it'll be a long, long road back to him, for him from here because, I mean, an eye injury as well is no, no kind of joke. I'd imagine he'll be out for you know, maybe a year or so like that before he comes back and then he'll have to rebuild from there. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back from that. I still, you know, still do rate Dubois. I think he's definitely wouldn't write him off. Um, I think he's, he's feeling of potential is great. Um, but something like that can have a lasting effect on a fighter and it will be interesting to see his journey from there. But in terms of Joyce, I think, I think he's going to be in some, some good fights uh, moving forward and, It'll be interesting again with him to see how he how he develops and also who they who they kind of put him in with because I think he's pretty much at the stage now where he's almost he's just ready for anyone they'll just you know anyone that they can get a world title fight with or a position where they can get him into a world title fight I think he'll I think he'll go in and he'll he'll fancy the job against anyone he's that kind of that kind of character and that kind of that kind of boxer really yeah I mean certainly some some interesting questions around where both of these two guys go from here and I think what we'll do is to, towards the end of the show we'll, we'll have a little bit of a think and a little bit of a discussion about potentially where these and, and some of the other fighters might go in their in their relative weight divisions but I know some people listen to this, they come here for the preview stuff, the betting angles. So so we'll move on to to some of the actual upcoming fights that we've got in the weeks ahead. Um, obviously, the, the first of those is Joshua against Pulev. Um, Going to get some traction in the UK, but it, I mean, it looks like a pretty a one-sided one. But we have also got Canelo fighting Callum Smith and, and Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell, which those two certainly jump out as, as maybe more intriguing matchups from a, from a betting perspective. But we'll start with Anthony Joshua and, and Kubrat Pulev. The market obviously only sees one winner in Joshua at 1.105. Pulev is priced at 7.10. Um, so those that, that deal in the probabilities of those, it translates into 85% win probability for Joshua. Um, I can't remember what price he was for, for the first time round against Andy Ruiz Jr., but we've... We've seen plenty of upsets in boxing before, especially up in the up in the heavyweights. But it's it's obviously a completely different fight to the Ruiz ones in terms of the the type of opponent and sort of the the style matchup that we're going to see. Chris, I'll, I'll go to you first on this. What are your thoughts here? Is it, it it's difficult to see an angle where when the odds are so one sided? But what do you make of those odds, and, and what do you think we might see in the fight? Uh, yeah, um, so I think it depends inevitably what kind of mindset Joshua comes into the fight with. Um, personally, myself, I like I've watched Pulev 
a lot down the years. Um, and it's probably he's probably he's it's probably best for him as, as attack is probably his best form of defence in this one. I think personally, um, I think if Joshua can get his shots off at mid range and kind of I think that's where he boxes best, then he can kind of steamroll through Pulev as such. Um, but much like uh, Dubois versus Joyce, if Pulev's still there after taking some heavy fire, then he will be dangerous because he 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 is he is good uh, Pulev. A lot of these top 10 heavyweights they're not maybe as kind of as marketable as someone like an Adney Joshua but they, he is a good fighter um he can box solidly for 12 rounds um and in terms of the Andy Ruiz one like you said I think that I think the odds would have been pretty similar maybe even higher in the in the in the first fight um because that was almost like one of the biggest shocks of all time when you when you weigh up um how heavy a favorite Joshua was in that but in this it's a little bit different to that i think that it's and especially in the rematch i mean outboxing kind of a short stumpy kind of fat guy which he, he is let's be honest you know is a lot easier um than boxing someone who can actually box for 12 rounds and who look who looks to box to kind of you know to win fights on points and is is generally well seasoned and can outbox him like pulev could outbox joshua um it's not not to, I'm not saying that I think he will outbox him, but it, there is a scenario where he can outbox him. Whereas someone like Andy Ruiz, when Joshua was boxing him in the rematch, you almost knew that if he could keep keep out of distance, um, keep out of range of Ruiz's punches and not let him get inside, he can win that fight pretty comfortably on points. Um, he obviously made the mistake in the first fight of getting a bit overconfident, um, went for the finish and got clipped. And inevitably, that's why he lost that fight. I think that, I mean, Pulev's last few fights haven't been at the highest level and he is 39 so I think um the odd, that's why the odds are obviously favoring Joshua fairly heavy um one thing I will touch on I've got a feeling that people who are going to bet on this especially the casual kind of better is going to probably look at their odds um on Pulev to stop Joshua and think they might have a kind of a little nibble on that um do, do I think Pulev can knock Joshua out. Um, yes, uh, I, I do. Um, whether I think he will or not is another matter. But make no mistake, if Joshua gets sloppy in this fight and makes a mistake and gets clipped, he could he could lose. Um, it's Joshua's chin for me isn't great. Um, do I think he's like chinny? I wouldn't say he was chinny because he's taken some big punches. I'd say he's probably got an okay chin um one thing i've noticed with joshua over the years is when he gets when he gets hit he stays hit um, and what i mean by that is he kind of his powers of recovery is like aren't great compared to other heavyweights so if you can catch him and catch him heavy like ruiz did um then he kind of stays hurt for a long time um he done it in it happened in the klitschko fight as well um Klitschko was probably one punch away at one point from kind of ending that um and he kind of he got through it and obviously that that ended dramatically but that was a 40 year old Klitschko um yeah it's I mean Bob Arum interesting angle so I'm sure you would have as well Tom that Bob Arum's done a couple of interviews um guy who promotes Ulev and has been with him for quite a few years now and he is kind of utterly convinced 100% that Pulev's going to knock Joshua out. Um, he's been in boxing for all of his life. Um, he's He knows you know his stuff and he's 
not even not even an argument for him that Pulev wins. Um, I think that I think that Joshua, it, there's a lot of pressure on him riding on this fight. Um, and one thing as well with the heavyweight division, it notoriously throws up shocks, doesn't it, and upsets down the years. I mean, that's why we pay the money, and that's why people, that's why it's the most lucrative division in boxing because there is that intrigue of a big upset happening. Um, one punch can change a fight. Um, I personally, I think, I, I think Joshua will win, and I fancy him to win in the second half of the fight. Um, but I've looked at the the rounds, and I think seven to twelve probably represents the best value. I mean, you're not get. I wouldn't put it this way. I wouldn't go anywhere near Joshua at one to ten. Um, not saying that I don't necessarily think that's any kind of value as such. I just with his past performances and what I've seen of him um, in terms of the Andy Ruiz fight and how easily he can be hurt if he's clipped. Um, I wouldn't fancy putting my money on a one to 10 shot here. So if, if betters want to get an angle for this fight, I would probably, my kind of pick would be Joshua in the second half of the fight between seven and 12. I think you can get an okay ish price on that. Um, in terms of, I don't think Pulev's going to be the guy to, to, to stop him, but it certainly, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if, he did hurt him because, yeah, he's, he's, a lot of people think Joshua is an accident waiting to happen again. I don't necessarily think he's going to just get hit and go over, but he's certainly, that aura of invincibility, I think, has gone a little bit and Pulev will probably fancy his chances a little bit more than someone who has done in the past, like a Joseph Parker, who kind of went in there and probably kicking himself now that he didn't like let his hands go because he could have had a lot more success. Um, so, yeah, in terms of a betting angle, I'd probably say Joshua around about 7 to 12 is probably the best bet I can pull from this fight. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, Kubrat Pulev can knock Anthony Joshua out. I don't think, Tom, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably not going to disagree with that, but it's it's whether or not, when you look at the odds, 15% win probability, are his chances better than that? Or, or have the odds got it spot on, do you think? Well, I mean, it's the, you, you mentioned the Ruiz fight. The question is whether you can trust Joshua at such a short price kind of maybe ever again after the first Ruiz fight. Um, he, I think you, we mentioned it there. I think he was about 1 to 33, so 1.03, maybe 1.02 uh, in places like a monumental favourite against Ruiz. Um, Pulev is given, has been given more respect here, and, and that's that's understandable. He, for a start, he's had a full camp, which Ruiz didn't in the first fight. Um, and as Chris said, Pulev has been an established top 10 guy for you know, the best part of a decade. Uh, although, Chris, I, w- I would take Bob Arum's comments that, you know, he firmly believes Pulev is going to win. You know, this is the guy who said uh, yesterday he was lying, today he's telling the truth, um, infamously. So, you know, yeah. And and as, you know, he's also Tyson Fury's co-promoter, you know, who will be in for a, a bit of a windfall if Joshua Fury gets made. So I think there's a bit of kidology there. Um it's it's tricky. I mean, Pulev is the thing about Pulev's record. He's only ever lost one fight, and that was to Vladimir Klitschko. You know, the best heavyweight of the past twenty years. Or, you know, or not twenty years, fifteen years, let's say, um, or at least right up there. Um, I think that all of that said, I think Joshua is a worthy one to ten favorite or thereabouts. Um, I. It's a very different style proposition from Ruiz, where. Joshua went into that rematch knowing that Ruiz could hurt him, adopted the decision to box him at range, not let him on the inside. 
in many ways, Pulev is a much more favourable style matchup for him. He's the older man. He's he's less mobile. He's he's a good, you know he's still a good fighter, but he hasn't got the quick hands that really troubled Joshua in that first Ruiz fight. He's going to be he's a very orthodox kind of European style boxer, which makes sense from a guy from you know Bulgaria, of course. And you know there aren't going to be any surprises here. Pulev beats guys at a certain level, um, you know, a Derek Chisora, a Huey Fury, you know, a Rydell Booker, a Bogdan Dinu, and he's beaten those guys ever since he lost to Vladimir Klitschko. But the big catch there, of course, well, you can say he's only ever lost to Vladimir Klitschko. He hasn't fought anyone as good as Anthony Joshua, apart from Vladimir, you know, Vladimir Klitschko, and there's an argument there as well. Um, I think Pulev has to stop Joshua to win, you know, I think taking that into consideration, fighting at Wembley Arena, you know, very, very close to being Anthony Joshua's kind of literal home patch um, in front of fans. If it's not behind closed doors. That's an element of, I guess, that works against Pulev in a way to, to for Joshua to hear those fans singing his name. That's home advantage in, in a sense. Um, I think the most, I mean, what I would say is I, I can't, go near Joshua at 1-10 to 10 outright for, for obvious reasons. But what's pitched really interesting for me is that it feels likely that Joshua will catch up with him at some point, just because Pulev is quite a mobile. But it's whether Joshua goes for that. Joshua is not the kind of seek-and-destroy fighter that he was back maybe a couple of years ago. And we, we've seen him increasingly cautious, apart from when, when he got very sloppy against Ruiz, you know. He was very risk averse in the in the Ruiz um, fight, and the question is whether he whether he kind of goes into Vladim, uh, Vladimir Klitschko mode now and and says, okay, for the rest of my career, I know what to do. I can win fights behind my jab. I don't need to get involved. I don't need kind of guys getting up in, inside and, and and throwing a barrage of punches because that's where I've shown I can be hurt. I can I can win fights on the outside, and for most guys, apart from maybe Tyson Fury, that will probably be enough for Joshua to get the job done. Um, but it's whether Joshua decides to go out and make a statement or, or says, actually, I'm going to revert to what I like doing. And that's really hurting these, these type of guys. If that's the case, I, I can see him stopping Pulev in the mid rounds. And the, the over under market on this fight is pitched very well, I think, at um, 6.5 rounds. It's under uh, 6.5 at 2, I think it's 2.2 um, and over 6.5 at 1.775. I think if you're looking at those, there might be a, a slight bit of value in the under because I think the end could come, you know, maybe four or five rounds in. But again, it's really what approach Joshua takes. If he says, actually, I'm, I'm quite content to um, to box Pulev here. As, as we saw with Joshua against Joseph Parker as well, who's a, a lot more similar stylistically to Pulev than Ruiz is, then you could be looking at a distance fight and, and a very kind of wide Joshua decision um, on, the, on the scorecards. Bit of contrasting opinion. That's that's what we want on the podcast. Chris, Chris thinking of the over. Tom thinking of the under. I love it. I mean, the. I mean, I would say one thing with that, which was interesting. What Tom said is that the way, like he was saying, he thinks that Joshua for his the rest of his career potentially might um, box in terms of keeping it long, kind of winning fights, as we would say, a little bit more boringly than what he's used to. Do do you do you think? Tom, that he can, he he can afford to do that with the like the pressure on his shoulders and kind of the marketability of the man. I mean, he's got every sponsorship known under the sun. He's got you know 
the reason he is pay-per-view and become pay-per-view was because he was he he adapted that style that almost kind of Mike Tyson-esque style it not style but kind of blowout ability where he was going in and just going through guys for fun knocking them out and that's inevitably that's what <laughs> as bad as it sounds that's what people want to see people tune into heavyweight boxing to see someone get knocked out um so in terms of his marketing power and like you know the team behind him and Eddie Hearn that do you think that he can kind of get away with just doing that I mean at some point he's going to have to revert to type and go for go for the KO and it's just if he does get clipped and he makes a mistake it'll be very interesting to see what happens I just I, I agree with you I think that he I mean that's possibly the best his best form of in terms of winning fights and getting results will be that moving forward but in terms of in terms of the weight and the pressure that's on his shoulders he, he has to kind of go out there and perform to a certain level. I mean, people weren't happy with that Ruiz performance. So I just think that in this, he's going to have to make a statement. Like he's going to have to, I think if he went out and boxed the 12 rounds behind a jab, moved around the ring, maybe, you know, moved into range a couple of times and caught Poole level one on points, I think a lot of people will probably switch off from him a bit and he'll get a lot of stick for that. Um, again, a lot of negativity what he really will want to do is go out and kind of blast him out and have a big statement and hype up this fury fight to make it a lot more intriguing again um and people kind of back and forth who are going to win whereas with with that is he if he does do that and he does get clipped then you know it's interesting to see what happens i just i don't know that's just my opinion on how it will play out i just can't see how he can actually do that i can see how he can do it obviously but in terms of from the pressure of the TV companies and Sky and things like that, they're not going to want him to do that one bit. <laughs> no, I mean, probably not. But then at the same time, it's not like he's not going to lose the Fury fight if he goes and wins a even a, a close and competitive decision. I think you make a good point that, you know, doing it two two fights in a row might be a, a, a clear sign that that's the, the, a change in the approach. But... Look, he's at the same time he's already a betting underdog in a potential Fury fight. Um, Joshua is not; he's not going to lose Marcus ability just because of you know the way he looks and you know that he's got a whole fan base which is quite different in a way to Fury's anyway. Um, and I think the most important thing is that he carries on winning um, for everyone. I think that if you ask the promoter, the TV company, whoever you, you you speak to, the most important thing is that he gets this done by hook or crook, and then the Fury fight is potentially on the table, assuming Fury gets past um, Deontay Wilder in, in a fair fight, should there be one. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's very different from Fury going over and, and boxing Wilder on the back foot for 12 rounds like he did in the first fight, because Wilder is a much more dangerous opponent, and certainly by the odds as well. If you're one to ten, you know, if you're ten on favourite, you... The conception is that you know a lot of casuals won't know Pulev. You know Joshua was meant to fight him a couple of years ago, and and um, Attackham stood in eventually anyway. But yes, Joshua should be going out and dominating. But it, you know it's not it's not as simple as that. Um, I agree with you that it could be a little bit underwhelming, and and at the same time, that's where I've I've kind of said actually I would expect Joshua to to go out and make that statement. One of the one of the things you mentioned, Tom, was about the the fact that we have got fans back into boxing matches. Obviously, everyone's very thankful for that, and, and across sort of the the sporting industry as a whole, um, where it's a fraction of what Joshua would be used to, 
do you think that is going to be seen as a benefit? I mean, a couple of thousand people, you, you're going to sort of hear what's what's being said more so than if it's sort of 70,000 or whatever he's had in the past. How, how do you think that will go down in terms of the the smaller section of fan base that will be there? Well, I think it's, I think, I believe it's 1,000. So it's not even a, a few thousand. It's literally 1,000 inside Wembley Arena. Um, and in a way, it's less than 1,000 people or less than the noise 1,000 people would make at an, a normal boxing match because it's grouped by household, I believe. So if you've got five people, it's going to be you, your dad, your sister, you know, it's not going to be you and five mates unless you actually live with them because of obviously the COVID regulations. So in a way it could sound like a smaller audience than it actually is in person, if that makes sense. Um, look, Joshua is a guy who's never fought behind, a, a, I say never, fought in front of a crowd this small, certainly as a pro, you know, he's, he's used to packing out stadiums, arenas, even in his Olympic days, you know, he was, you know, London Olympics in front of a home crowd, packed arenas um, in, in Stratford. This is a guy who isn't used to fighting. No one's used to fighting, you know, inside half empty arenas during a, a kind of pandemic. But I don't think there's enough there. I think I think you'd. I think we're all looking at speculation. I think it can only be helpful for Joshua because they're the ones cheering his name. It's not like they've carted over five hundred Bulgarian fans to kind of even up the the field. It's going to be a thousand Joshua fans in there, um, and. I mean, in in a in an indoor arena, it's, you know, it's not an open air stadium. A thousand people can still make some noise. I think the I think the bigger question is because it was announced quite late. How much of Joshua's camp was devoted to to saying, okay, this is going to be behind closed doors, and that's what I'm preparing for? Would there be any disruption by you know Boris's announcement a few weeks ago that actually we're going to let a thousand people in? I don't see that as a negative. I think that can only help Joshua. Um, and I mean, really, if, if, you're, if you're saying, is that factored into the price? It probably isn't. I think, you know, you, you could knock off a couple of ticks there and, and kind of have that weighted in as well. All right, well, let's uh, let's get on to our next fight. We've got the UK's Callum Smith taking on the the man that, that many will have down as, as pound for pound number one, Canelo Alvarez. Um, it's on the 19th or, or the early hours of the 20th for, for some of our listeners. Canelo, a, a short favourite, as you'd expect, 1.164. Um, Smith has odds of 5.35. So that translates to an 18% chance of a win for Smith and, and then obviously leaving the 82% chance for Canelo. I mean, Canelo is is rock solid. Most people will, will agree. The only loss on his records to Mayweather is he's obviously had the draw and a win against Golovkin. I think there was also a draw really early on in his career, but those those results against Golovkin, I think both of those are are up for debate. Um, it's difficult to see how someone is good coming forward. He's good on the back feet, back foot, power shots. He's he's able to pick his opponents off and and counter. The, it's the complete package really. And there's there's a reason only someone as skilled as Mayweather has actually beaten him. When we put the scoring aside for the the Golovkin fights. I guess the question is if he's if he's developed and and improved since that loss over seven years ago to to Mayweather. How does someone like Callum Smith beat him? And not to discredit Smith, obviously he's he's a good boxer, but is he anywhere near Canelo's level? Tom, can can you see a way for him to win this fight? I can see a way for him to win it, um, but I don't 
rate his chances at all. I think the problem for Smith here is that it's a very, very bad style matchup in theory. Um, now, not discounting the weight, you know, uh, Canelo is Canelo's been flitting between weights for a while now. This is at super middleweight. Canelo's went up in his last fight and beat Sergei Kovalev at light heavyweight. Um, he's beaten Rocky Fielding before at super middle. He's made his name really at, at middleweight or, you know, had kind of really established himself as an elite fighter at middleweight. Um, but the big kind of comparison here for me is looking at Callum Smith's last fight, which was against John Ryder um, about a year ago now, actually. The problem for Smith here is that Canelo is physically very similar to John Ryder in terms of height, in terms of reach, but he's better than John Ryder in every single way. And I felt that John Ryder beat Callum Smith that night, and I thought he beat him very clearly. I think it scored eight rounds to four in favour of John Ryder. Now, John Ryder showed that night that the way to beat Callum Smith is to hunt him down, to fight him on the inside, to throw jabs upwards. I think John Ryder's five foot nine. I think Canelo is five foot eight. Callum Smith is six foot three. Canelo can really, really get to Smith here. He can, you know, he, he's already done it to Smith's brother, who's not physically the same fighter, but Canelo is one of the best body punchers in the world. Smith has a very, very long body as, as a guy at six foot three, you'd expect. We saw Canelo do it to um, Rocky Fielding as well, really kind of hammering away at the midsection. John Ryder has success there. I look, I think unless Callum Smith establishes a jab early and and boxes in a way similar to what we were saying Joshua and you know Joyce did and just just keeps him at range. That's the only way that Callum Smith for me can win this fight. I don't see him stopping Canelo. Um and I think the most likely outcome is that Canelo um it, it sounds odd to say for a five for eight guy against a six for three guy, but I think Canelo can bully him. Uh, I think he will. I think he'll get inside very early. I think he will work away at the body, which we haven't really seen. Um, Callum Smith hurt at any point. He wasn't hurt as such against Ryder, but he was. He was outthrown. He was outworked. And if you're if you're looking for a guy who, or if let's let's put it this way, if there's anyone out there who can close space down with their feet, who can get inside, who can work the body, who can utilize a, a range of up jabs uppercuts body shots in quick succession and combination punches at that then canelo is the best in the world at that at the moment um and uh, yeah i think smith is in for a really tricky night yeah it could be one where it's a real sort of body beating for smith it, it seems like the obvious play here for for canelo chris what do you what do you make of that do you think it's going to be the same uh yeah similar kind of views um i think it's a good fight um i'm a little bit gutted to be honest because i wanted to i'm I really wanted to see Canelo in with Caleb Plant, which was the fight that was pitched before this. Um, and there was a lot of talk that that had already been made, which I think will be an, an unbelievable fight um, in terms of a stylistic matchup. And I was really looking forward to that, but I'm not disappointed with this fight. I think it's a, I think it's a good fight. Um, I think, yeah, Smith, obviously the the angle that a lot of people are going to look at for this, especially from a betting angle, is obviously his past performance against John Ryder. Um, John Ryder is nowhere near the level of Canelo, although he is a good, solid fighter. Um, I mean, people are looking at it saying, oh, well, because, you know, obviously John Ryder, you know, beats, well, supposedly beat Smith or, you know, it was close on the cards. Um, Smith got the nod. <laughs> yes, 
he, he got the nod on the cards, um, Smith. So they're going, oh, well, Canelo will destroy him. I think um, there's a couple of slightly different aspects to it. I think like I think John Ryder's more of a volume type guy than probably Canelo is. Canelo kind of isn't quite as high volume. He's usually quite low volume. Um, I think the main worry I have for Smith, again, is how a bit Tom touching it is probably how easily John Ryder got up close to him. I mean, it wasn't even hard, was it? I mean, to be honest, he just, he got up close and he was, if if he can get up close to Canelo, uh, sorry, to Smith, then Canelo's going to smother him. Um, the fact he couldn't control the distance very well against someone of Ryder's level, um, coming in against probably one of the best combination punches in world boxing, um, again, doesn't sit too well. Um Canelo's got great head movement as well. That's another underrated aspect of his game. Um, so he can work in weight, work his way inside, use that movement. And yeah, I see, like we say, that kind of long, skinny body of Smith <laughs> taking a bit of a taking a bit of a pounding with them left hooks. So um, it'll be in, it'll be. I'm quite interested to see how Smith actually kind of approaches the fight and what tactics they'll come up with to kind of mix it with Canelo because Canelo knocked out Kovalev at light heavyweight in his last fight. So although Kovalev's coming to the end of his end of his career, I'd imagine if he can knock out someone like Kovalev, he can certainly knock out Callum Smith. Um so yeah, I mean I'm not sure Smith can hurt Canelo, but I'm pretty sure Canelo can hurt Smith. So um I just see I just see in this fight, I mean I see I just see Canelo systematically kind of applying pressure, walking forward hands up kind of gradually pushing Smith back round by round and kind of like Tom touched upon work in the body um good combination punching and kind of just slowing him down and then I think that the dog in Canelo will kind of come out and I, I think he's it's a tough one to say with the stoppage because I I favor him to stop him uh kind of late but it's a difficult one because you've never seen Smith actually actually hurt like Tom touched upon it's so when you've never seen a fighter who's actually been properly hurt it almost comes it's almost a big shock so you've never seen it before whereas if someone has been hurt you almost like if, if Callum Smith had been hurt in a couple of fights prior to this and you'd seen him kind of wobbly or knocked down I'd imagine everyone would just say well Canelo's gonna Canelo's gonna knock him out or stop him um the fact that he hasn't makes it a little bit intriguing in terms of especially from a betting angle in terms of can Canelo get him out of there because I'd imagine Canelo is fairly okay-ish odds to win on points so maybe the fight to go to distance could be an angle that people can look at from a from a betting angle or Canelo to win on points because let's be honest I mean if Smith if Smith wins he won't win will he unless he stops kind of Canelo so and let's face it that's pretty unlikely so almost yeah I can't see any other way any way really that that he does win this fight but um I think yeah Canelo for me I think a stoppage for Canelo probably probably around about kind of eight to twelve um, would be would be my play here. Um, I don't see I don't see Smith beating Canelo um, one one bit no. And then Tom, sorry if I had to push you for a bit. Chris is looking at a stoppage for Canelo. Where, where would your money be going if you were betting on this, or are you betting on this? Um, I mean, it's not one that I've got around to looking at just yet. Uh, but my initial reaction again is is kind of. You're going to love this, Ben. I'm going to um, play contrarian again. Um, I'm looking at the over-under, and under 9.5 is 2.21. Over is 1.70. I, 
as Chris said, we haven't got that kind of data to say, well, we know Callum Smith can be vulnerable. We know he can be hurt. But at the prices, I would be steering more towards the under just because of what we've seen in the past. We, you know, we, we've seen Canelo break down, you know, a, a super middleweight, a super middleweight, super middleweight who's not as good as um, Callum Smith in Rocky Fielding, but physically quite similar. I mean, looking at the last time, Kovalev won a good few of those rounds, and I think Callum Smith might look at that and say, okay, I, I can box him. But the problem with that for Kovalev was that in round 11, Canelo just opened up against the ropes and the fight was over and over in a flash. And you think, well, you know, where did where did that come from? And it's it, it's kind of odd thinking about this fight and looking at it and saying, well, it's just Canelo, Canelo's going to win it. Because Callum Smith is arguably the number one super middleweight in the world at the moment on on achievements. You know, he he won the, the World Boxing Super Series. You know, but I yeah I I do think Canelo will stop him. And based on the the price on the unders at the moment, that is where I'd be where I'd be looking. I don't think it's going to go the twelve rounds. Yeah, that's that that that's what you like you touched on. That's what I find quite intriguing with it as well is that like how he will actually how Smith will actually approach it because. I mean, when Canelo boxed Danny Jacobs as well, Danny Jacobs has definitely got faster hands than Callum Smith and he couldn't even touch Canelo with a jab. Um, so it's going to be difficult to see how Smith can actually like win the fight. It's it's quite an intriguing one in terms of uh, how he'll approach it. That's just that's the only real intrigue for me is how he's actually going to approach it. And probably his best bet is to probably, like you say, get on his get on his bike for 12 rounds and kind of try and nick a points decision but that's going to be extremely well, difficult I mean do. can you do that against Canelo in Texas it's yeah exactly so I just can't just oh uh, yeah no chance no chance then <laughs> all right then we'll uh we'll get on to the last fight that we've got Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell I think it's it's right at the start of the year isn't it second or third of January um but Two fighters. The obvious thing here is that they're at opposite ends of their careers, really. Garcia just twenty-two. Um, he has got twenty fights on his record, but he's he's flown through them. Campbell started a little bit later after his amateur career. Twenty-three fights for him, um, three losses on the record as well. But one of those against Linares, another one against Lomachenko. He he hasn't been afraid to to sort of step up to the elite and. I think looking back to that Lomachenko fight, he actually he did all right early on. Um, I think he won a few people over with the performance despite the loss. Um, but Ryan Garcia, is, he's been around, obviously, a, a lower level of opposition since he turned pro. Um, certainly a, a big step up for him. I know you've used the term Instagram boxer in the past, Chris, but the, the punch that we saw in the last fight, was it Fonseca it was against? I mean, it was... It was pretty tasty. He, he looks to be improving, despite the fact that we've only seen sort of a few minutes from him in, in most of his fights. But it is a pretty short price on Garcia here, all things considered. 1.374, so a, a 70% chance of getting the win for him. Campbell, obviously, the, the much more experienced of the two, a, a 3.20 or, or 30%. Is the is the hype worth him, Chris? Do you think should should he be that short? What would you reckon of these odds? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, firstly, it's a obviously is a big step up for him, isn't it, in his career? I mean, uh, like you touched on, Campbell's been in with Lomachenko, uh, Linares, obviously fallen short on them occasions, but um, I'd imagine looking at it from the Garcia camp, it's probably that's the angle they've gone with. Um, in terms of 
his kind of potential and ceiling. Um, I think he's a breath of fresh air for boxing, to be honest. I, I am, um, as long as a fighter can back it up and kind of do the business, I have no um, qualms of them being a bit, being a bit cocky, a bit outspoken, a bit flashed. I actually quite like all that camaraderie and build up, um, especially like I say, if they can back it up. Um, whether Garcia can back it up is the is the big question. Um, I mean, he's being touted, isn't he, as the new kind of golden boy, um, well, at least that's kind of how he's being marketed. Um, yeah, fast hands, very talented, um, athletically gifted. I mean, in this fight, he's kind of supposed to win. Um, Campbell, let's face it, Campbell coming into this fight is the opponent. Um, but I think the, the, the good angle, and in terms of all this kind of Instagram boxer and, you know, how good is he and all that, that's the very intriguing thing for this fight is that, this fight will tell us how good he is. And it's a very good yardstick to see where he's at because, like you say, Ben Campbell is a good fighter. Um, he's gone, obviously gone, you know, 12 rounds with Lomachenko, Linares, etc. I'm up a little bit short, but he has done, you know, well in them fights, Olympic gold medalist. I mean, if he goes, if Garcia goes in there and kind of blasts Campbell out, um, not saying that is going to happen, but if he does do that, then there's going to be some real intrigue um, surrounding him, especially in that division as well, because that division at the minute um, at lightweight and in and around that weight is kind of a wash with talent. Um, so there's plenty of dance partners in there for him to become like a megastar in boxing, something that obviously all big superstars need. Um, and he certainly has the platform to be able to do that. I mean, I think I think that the winner of this is in line for a shot at Devin Haney. Um, who's the WBC champion or, well, that's up for debate or the email champion or whatever they call him. Um, but yeah, that would be a great fight. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's an intriguing one for me. Um, like you say, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? In, in, in sports betting and in, in boxing betting. So if, you know, we're all experts after the fight camp, I mean, if, if, Campbell could go in there and outbox him and, you know, and it's the best odds you've ever seen. And you oh, Garcia was crap. He was, you know, he was a Instagram boxer. Um, the Olympic pedigree and stuff. Campbell is 33. He looks, he looks kind of still like a choir boy, but he is 33. So he's a veteran at this stage of his career. Um, again, Campbell being the opponent in this um, and Garcia with kind of the, floor ceiling that he has in terms of potential I've been really impressed with him I've watched him as an amateur as well and he's gone in with a lot of good fighters and um, beat a lot of good fighters and I think as well that's a, like when we touched upon the betting angle that's something that you can look to um to possibly get an edge over the bookmaker is amateur amateur boxing I mean I don't know how many kind of people watch or study amateur boxing to a core to get the kind of grounding of what a fighter's like you can often you can often find out things about a fighter as in the amateurs when they're boxing these top guys um, to stuff you don't find out about them as a pro when they're boxing lower level guys. Often their amateur career is a lot harder than their kind of start of their pro career. So if someone's a bit vulnerable or if they've been knocked out a couple of times in the amateurs or you've seen it before, you can sometimes get an, like may possibly get an edge over the bookmaker in that sense. Obviously you have to do your homework and things like that and you know, look through hours upon hours of amateur footage. But I, I, don't see that in uh, Garcia. The, the, the amateur fights that I've watched from him um, and the level of guys I've been in, and if I haven't seen anything that suggests that he that he is kind of you know a vulnerable fighter or anything like that, I think he's got 
a lot of talent. It'd just be very interesting to see how it unfolds. Um, I'm intrigued with this fight. I think Garcia will win this fight. Um, would I, again, it's, it, would I put, would you put the house in it? No, because it's, you're kind of, from a from the betting angle, you're kind of going, well, do I trust my money in the hands of something that I've never really seen necessarily, a bit like with Daniel Dubois? Um, now that you've seen someone like a Daniel Dubois, who is in a kind of a similar position to this coming into the fight with Joyce, now that you've seen that unfolding, you've seen that he's got quit in him and that he can be, you know, out-jabbed and kind of outworked in certain areas, you know that now. So it's like, well, when he's boxing again, you do that. With with Garcia, for example, we don't know a few things. Um, so it'll be interesting to find them out. Um, yeah, I think... I, I think that the, the type of fighter that will probably looking at Garcia's style, I think the type of fighter that will probably beat him is someone who who probably works in like grinds him down, works in dying like a Marcos Maidana type of style, someone who can walk through punches and just tough as old boots and can kind of pin him on the ropes and throw anything at him. I think that's the type of fighter looking at it that would beat him. I don't think Luke Campbell is that fighter, although he is a very good boxer. So unless Campbell can outbox him at range and win on points, I see Garcia winning this. Um, I'd difficult to say whether he'll stop him because Campbell's never been stopped. Um, I, I, I would, in terms of, I would go Garcia on, you know, straight up to win this fight. I'm not convinced that he'll stop him, and I'm not convinced that he'll win on points. So, if I'm think that he'll win so that's where i would i would have my play here yeah i mean is it as simple as experience versus youth and and youth being the better boxer the the flashier one tom do you, do you think garcia's got enough here or not enough to win maybe enough to be justified at a 70 percent favorite no i don't i don't i think um i think campbell is a great price here um again if you ask me who's more likely to win probably Garcia, uh, if I had to pick a winner, but I don't think, I think Campbell at two to one plus, you know, 3.2. Um, you know, I think that's borderline disrespectful to Campbell. Um, got, as, as Chris said, there are many parallels here to, in, in a way, to um, Dubois-Joyce. And, and this fight is the most intriguing of the December-January fights that have been announced without a doubt. Um yeah, the ages are similar between, you know, uh, Dubois 23, Garcia 22, Joyce is 35, Campbell's 33, Campbell and Joyce, both Olympic pedigree. You know, Campbell's, he's been in there with the best. He's He's gone 12 rounds with Lomachenko, with Linares. He's beaten European um, level guys in Von Mendy. He's beaten um, Dalis Perez, who was in, sort of a, an interim world champion. He's beaten uh, Aldrinix Mendes, who was a former world champion he's he's got some really good seasoning and although some of those guys are you know much obviously much less explosive than Garcia looks so far the 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 kind of the parallels are there you know Garcia is being stepped up very quickly what I would say is different between Garcia and Dubois is that Garcia has fought better guys than Dubois did um, you know, he did beat Fonseca and to beat him in one round is, you know, Fonseca is not world-class, but he's a solid, solid opponent at, at the age of 22 and Garcia wiped him out. And the other point is that Campbell doesn't have the same physical threat that Joyce did against Dubois, for example. He's a t- very technical boxer, a very, very good technical boxer. As you were saying, Chris, I, I wonder if it's the guy who's you know, I would like to see Car- uh, Garcia in there against someone like Salido or 
um, you know, a really rugged type boxer who's in there purely to rough him up and, and see, you know, to, to, you know, is Garcia a man or a boy? That that kind of style. Yeah, I think the, I think as well with the Lomachenko Luke Campbell fight, I think the fact that Lomachenko didn't stop Campbell, although I know he put him down towards the end of the fight, but the fact that he didn't stop Campbell, people are thinking, well, if Lomachenko can't um, stop Campbell, then obviously Ryan Garcia isn't going to. But the thing with Lomachenko, as good as he is, and as many tricks as he's got in his books and how great he has been, he is a, he's a very small guy. Like he's not, a as we saw against Teofimo Lopez, he's not a lightweight. Um, so does Lomachenko punch as hard as Ryan Garcia? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, he's better than it. Ryan Garcia's better than him. He's, he's probably not, but does he punch as hard as him? Ryan Garcia, like you say, he's, he's young, 22 years old, growing, and he's, he's, he's quite a, quite it looks quite big at the weight like kind of I'd imagine he's going to develop into probably someone who's going to go up through the weights and probably end up around about a welterweight kind of kind of limit um so in terms of like a lot of people I've seen a lot of people mention it online that they go oh well you know Lomachenko didn't stop him so you know Garcia's not going to I don't I don't quite buy into that I don't think that I think that Lomachenko's you know like I say he's not a lightweight I think Ryan Garcia is a lightweight who's going to who's going to probably go up through the weights um He's been putting these guys away, like you say, at a lower level, Fonseca and stuff like that. So it will be, I just think the style of Campbell is, it's just the only way he can kind of necessarily win will be on, he'll try to win on points. I just don't think that style against Garcia is going to be the style to beat him. If this was someone else who had a totally different style to Campbell, I'd probably look at it from a completely different perspective. I just think that, um, Luke Campbell kind of with that style and again people also I, I, I rate Luke Campbell I think he's a very good boxer um, but when you get down to the nitty gritty of it he he did lose to Linares he was beaten um, fairly convincingly by Lomachenko like he did do well in the, especially in the first half of the fight he lost to um, Mendy um, a guy who's kind of a European level fighter um, who's, you know, hasn't really done anything because probably a, probably a similar kind of level to a Fonseca, possibly even, possibly even worse. Um, and he, he did, it was early on in his career, but he did lose to him. So he come back and beat him in a rematch, but it kind of gives you that gauge as a pro of where Luke Campbell is. My gauge on him from them performances is that he's a kind of a, almost like a, a little bit of a better gatekeeper at world level than a normal gatekeeper and someone who can cause you trouble. I think that I think Garcia will will be world level, um, and that's why I think that he'll win this fight. Um, but again, I think it'll be it'll be competitive because there's so many differentials and angles in the fight that can happen, and it'll be it's also intriguing. I'm massively intrigued by this fight. I'm very interested myself, like to see how it goes and how it unfolds and. All that will be very, very, very interesting one. And like Tom said, it's probably out of all of these fights, it's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Is he a 70% chance there, Chris? Um, I mean, like, again, going back to that, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't put my house in him due to the fact that there's so many unknowns. That's the thing. It's, it's very hard in boxing and in boxing bit and when you've never seen something unfold or you've never seen anything happen. I remember... I remember when I was watching, going back a while, but I remember watching the Mayweather-Hatton fight. Um, and I remember when Hatton got knocked out with that kind of check left hook on the ropes. It was almost like, you know, wow, like what's, you know, you can't, 
it looks a little bit weird like it looks a bit strange you can't you've never seen it happen before so it's kind of a um it almost kind of intrigues you to like stuff like that so it's when you've never seen something actually happen before or seen you don't you don't you don't you generally to tell the truth you don't really know do you i mean you can't no one can physically say how they know how how good ryan garcia's heart is in a boxing i, I would imagine he probably doesn't even know himself so he literally until he goes to the well in a fight and kind of you know he proves that you know he can get up off the floor and win he can take a big punch he can do that and that's why a bit like you said tom like that's why when these fighters kind of go through the levels someone like a joe joyce when we're comparing someone who's kind of been there as an amateur at the top level fought top guys been you know been brought along pretty nicely as a pro going in with guys like brian jennings you kind of can get that gauge you think right well you know we, we know he can take a shot you know, so he's knocked out Brian Jennings has beaten this guy done this. So you know he can take a shot with someone like a Garcia where they come in with so much hype. Um it's it's hard to kind of get that gauge and know exactly exactly whether like that will happen because there's so many so many things you don't know. So it's almost am I do I trust putting my money in the hands of this kind of marketed guy and is his is his potential as high as people say? Um a lot of well-respected people in the boxing industry, a lot of well-respected trainers over in America, um, a lot of interviews I've seen and things like that say that he is and that he is very good. So judging from that, you would say, yeah, I mean, he'd probably be a, a favourite. I mean, 60, 65% would be, you know, fair, I guess. 70%, yeah, maybe not. I mean, if in terms of the... Cam, look, Campbell could end up being a tremendous value play here. You just don't know how it plays out. Um I just I side with Garcia, Garcia just through kind of youth and the fact that Campbell is 33 and he hasn't won at that top level. That's kind of what what gives me the angle here. But yeah, 70 percent. You might be right, Tom. You know, um, it's it's, a, it's an intriguing one. I'm I'm, I'm in, very interested to watch it myself. I'll be I'll be intrigued to see how it actually does unfold. We're uh, we're definitely dealing with unknowns. And you, you mentioned the word intriguing there, Chris. I think next time we do this podcast next month, we're certainly going to have some some intriguing discussion around some of how these how these fights. <laughs> Someone's going to be right. Someone's <laughs> going to be wrong. Um, we have got a couple of minutes left, so let's just look ahead um, to to maybe talk a little bit more about some of the fights we've seen recently and where they might go. I mean. One thing that, that I'd like to get your guys' opinion on is is Crawford. We, he beat Brooke, very convincing. It's one of those ones with Crawford. We talked a little bit before about the pound-for-pound pound stuff and, and his record, and I don't know where Brooke sits into that. He's Let's be honest, he is, he is kind of past it. So for both of you, where do, where do you see Crawford going from here and, and how does he sort of progress in his career? Well, I mean, everyone wants to watch, see the Spence fight, I'd imagine, now after um, Spence beat Goss. Uh, Garcia um the other day not Ryan Garcia Danny Garcia um so yeah that'll be the fight that everyone will be churning for in 2021 that is probably one of the biggest fights in boxing um certainly from a kind of in terms of levels it's probably potentially probably the best fight that can currently be made um I was really I was I was I was impressed quite impressed with Spence actually in that fight especially after the car accident for him against um terence crawford is is the fight that i want to see i don't really want to see any of these other fight i don't want to see i don't want to see crawford in with Keith Furman, danny garcia i want to see i want to see crawford in with spence and i want that fight to kind of happen like you know early middle of next year i think that's definitely the definitely the one to to watch there who i think will win that fight um that's a 
that's a, that's a tough one. I would probably slightly, ever so slightly favour Crawford. I think Crawford, yeah, like you say, is probably maybe a little bit more variety to his game, but it's a, I'd have to sit down and analyse that one a little bit more, but I'd slightly favour Crawford, I think, in that one. Yeah, everyone wants the, the Crawford Spence fight, Tom, but do we get it? Is the, the big question. What do you think? Uh, the cynic in me says no. Um, I don't think we'll see it. I don't think we'll see it next year, to be honest with you. Um, the the problem Crawford has got is that he is a top-ranked fighter, coming to the end of his top-ranked agreement, um, I should add, but the entire welterweight division pretty much is um, run by, I say run, dominated by uh, Al Heyman fighters, so BBC fighters. You've got Spence, obviously. Pacquiao is, for his last fight with BBC, he's, he's not you know, as closely affiliated with them as some. You've got Keith Furman, Sean Porter, Dennis Ugas, um, Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia. They're all very, very closely linked with with the PBC, with Fox, with Showtime, and, and Terence Crawford is an ESPN fighter over in America. Um, and they have no one. They have no welterweights. And the ones they do have, Crawford has beat. And that's why he's now fighting the Amir Khans and the Kel Brooks of the world or whoever they can get in for him. Um, interestingly, Crawford put out a tweet last night that said, um, I'm going to move back down to uh, 135, which is uh, lightweight, which is you know where he first cut, started having success, where he first won his first world title. Um, I, I don't know if I read that too much into that because that would be skipping two weight divisions. But if he's serious about that, then he's he's skipping 140, so light welterweight, in favour of going back down to fight the Tiafema Lopez's, Javonta Davis's, uh, Lomachenko's of the world. Where I know some serious money to be made there but whether he fancies cutting another 12 pounds at this kind of stage of his career is um is open to debate uh but he's kind of he's gridlocked really at welterweight and I think if the Spence fight doesn't happen and he doesn't move back down uh he's going to be fighting in some under probably fairly underwhelming fights um next at least for the next 12 months I would say or certainly hope I'm wrong Right, well, maybe some more some more positive fights or better fights that might come along could include Joe Joyce. We we spent a little bit of time talking about his fight against Dubois, and I think Chris, you, you said it. He's he's thirty five or whatever he is, but but fairly young in terms of boxing and the amount of fights he's had. So, Tom, I'll go straight back to you on that. Is it? I think Usyk has been sort of tabled a title shot. It's he's obviously going to be taking a, another step up in his career. One. Where does that step up take him? And, and two, do you think he can do it? No, I, he is now, I say he, Joyce is now uh, number two with the WBO. So directly replacing really where Dubois was before that fight, which puts him right in line for a shot at the WBO um, title, currently held by Anthony Joshua. Um, the, we've, we've mentioned it before, but the talk is that that fight um, with Fury may force the WBO belt to be vacated in order to push through that. The, the big kind of Fury Joshua um, showdown. If that's the case, then the mandatory will be Alexander Usyk, uh, and presumably then the fight would be between uh, Usyk and the number two, which is now Joe Joyce. Joyce Usyk, then you, you know we could get a decision on that early next year, um, January February. We might know what's going to happen with that that title picture. Uh, obviously, depending on whether Joshua wins this weekend. Do I think he can do it? Um, look. Joyce lost to Usyk in the World Series of Boxing, but he was a very in, inexperienced guy. Um, Usyk is a little bit older. He's put on some weight to get to heavyweight. He, he's not as mobile as he was. 
it's a it's much more interesting fight. You know, Joyce was pretty roundly beaten in the World Series, but I think it's a better fight now. Uh, and I think Joyce, if he were to fight, I don't think he would approach the Usyk fight in the same way that he did the um, Dubois fight. I think he would go back to his go back to type in a way and, and be a bit more aggressive against Usyk. And I don't think he's got a chance. I mean, I would open that up to Chris. Um, how would you price that one, Chris? It's it's pretty close, isn't it? Usyk Joyce. Um, yeah, I mean, like you say. Obviously, I'd imagine in terms of the bookmaker, they'll go back to revert to type with the World Boxing Super Series. Um, I do probably agree with you there when you said that it's probably a better fight for Joyce now than it was then. Um, I think they'll make Usic, they'll make Usic a favourite in that. Um, I get the I get the sense with Joyce as well, and he always he says it himself. He says that he never quite gets the he's one of them, isn't he? He doesn't quite get the the just deserve of what his kind of performances warrant. It's almost like until he literally beats a Tyson Fury or an Anthony Joshua, everyone's going to kind of have him as an underdog. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I would I would imagine they'll probably price that up. Yeah, Usage will probably be a fairly, uh, you know, probably one to four on the favourite. I'd probably say Joyce will probably come in. Maybe they'll probably not quite give you as good odds as they did on the Dubois fight because they probably learned their lesson there. But, um, but yeah, different kind of style of fight. I, 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 I mean, there's a lot of fights, isn't there, at heavyweight in that kind of little mix. I wouldn't... I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Joyce in with Derek Chisora, to be honest. Um, I think that would be a that would be a fun fight. Um, two big kind of strong guys. The build up with Chisora obviously will be you know will be quite fun. Joyce is pretty placid. Um, Sam Jones on the side alongside you know with Chisora and things like that. I think that could be an intriguing fight. I think that that I mean the heavyweight division and the lightweight division. I think in 2021 are the two where you're going to get probably the best chance of some real, real kind of big fights. Um, yeah, I think I think outside of that, there's quite a few. I mean, what what are you what what are your if you I suppose if you could have maybe five fights or three or four fights that you could see next year, Tom? What would be your what would be yours? I mean, I would in myself, I'd love to see Tiafimo Lopez against Javonta Davis. I think that's a amazing fight I'd love to see um I really want to see Billy Joe Saunders against Chris Eubank Jr again um big fan of the all British domestic clashes and I think that that's just got so much intrigue and the build-up and everything like that would be amazing um and yeah maybe a a slightly lesser type level fight I wouldn't mind seeing (laughs) Florian Marco and Connor Ben which wouldn't be too bad I think that's I think that's got a bit of interest um Florian Marku, for anyone who doesn't know, is actually boxing on the um, Joshua undercard on Saturday night. Um, I think he's got, I can't remember his nickname, the Albanian Slammer or something like that. But he's a bit of a, he's almost like a mini Mike Tyson, again, behind Sam Jones in the management team. And they kind of, I've seen him box a couple of times against gets to He looks very, very powerful, very, um, very good, very intriguing, a bit more huge kind of star in Albania. I think he can sell out arenas in Albania and stuff like that so Eddie Hearn will probably get behind him um yeah I think that'll be quite a good fight um just interested to see what you would what you would be interested in I mean the top obviously Spence Crawford Fury Joshua Lopez Davis um Joyce Usyk yeah uh I think I'd like to see Saunders against Golovkin I think that's a really interesting fight um I think interestingly again domestic um domestically the winner of let, let's assume a rematch between Lyndon Arthur and Anthony Yard will take place. I'd like to see the winner of that face, um, Joshua Buatzi. I think that's a really, really good fight. 
Um, and for balance on the women's side, I'd like to see uh, Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall as well. I think that's a really, really interesting fight at, at middleweight. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, very good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very good fight actually for women's boxing. That'll be intriguing to see see if we get that one. That's a great fight. Well, I think I've probably said this on the last sort of two or three podcasts. We are in a, a really fortunate position with boxing, and a lot of those fights, whether or not they they do get made, sort of in the in the near future, is is one thing. But we we certainly have fights to look forward to this month, early January, and and well into the new year. I'm I'm looking forward to those. I'm also looking forward to the the next time that we get to record and and sort of go over what we chatted about today. But Great insight as always, Chris and Tom. I just want to say thanks again for coming on and, and making the podcast what it is. It's it's really appreciated. Not a problem, Ben. Yeah, enjoy it. No, thank you, Ben. And thank you to everyone for listening. As always, all of the odds that we've talked about for the upcoming fights are available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.